Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. And come support our newly launched Patreon. That way we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation. And now, on with the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And today we got a pretty chill episode. We've got reviews for Agent Elvis, Daniel Spellbound, Season 2, I use that term loosely, and a really cool indie animated pilot for Lackadaisy. But first, we also have some trailers to react to. So, Cameron, what are we talking about this week? Well, just because as we record this, the Mario movie is literally a day away, and a lot of our critic friends are going to screenings right now, Pixar and DreamWorks decided to drop their trailers for Pixar's Elemental, and the Trolls Band Together trailer for DreamWorks. Because, you know, of course, they would want something to be put in front of the Mario movie. Because a lot of people are going to go see that Mario movie, man. I mean, like, the reaction to these two movies is very interesting. Because I think Elemental looks cute. I'm not really sure how I'm going to like it. Maybe I'll love it. Who knows? Because... Pixar, like we go through this cycle of Pixar trailers never paint the portrait of their film as well as we all hope they would because, you know, it's freaking Pixar and Disney. You should have the money to buy the best trailer makers of all time. There's definitely like a lot of people excited for this movie, but I've seen some people be like, wow, this looks like a parody of a Pixar film. And I get it. We're kind of in that area of like okay we've done like what almost 30 years of pixar films and they're still doing like non-human things have feelings and emotions and whatever and we're gonna have these films talk about heavier subject matters and such and i get it y'all want to see pixar go beyond that do more like luca or turning red or when pete doctors there do something complex like inside out or soul but i don't know we're recording this also while disney's trying to ignore the fact there's a worker strike going on by announcing a moana remake like a live action remake i just want to root for the original stuff that they're actually putting out and not just dunk on it i mean who knows maybe i'll like this movie Maybe I'll love it. Maybe I'll just say it's fine once I actually see the movie. That is the thing right there. I think some people just have the memory of a goldfish when it comes to Pixar. True, not all of their movies have been classics, but some of the best films in their catalog still had trailers that, like you said, don't really paint the most accurate picture. But A, I kind of feel that way about all trailers, really. And B, you know, I just honestly think this movie looks really fun. I love just the way that these characters are animated. I love the manipulation of water and fire and all the other elements. I also like they're kind of going for the 
traditional rom-com angle to some extent. And it's kind of fun seeing like the different family lives of our two main protagonists. I like the kind of more smaller scale story that is going on with Elemental because a lot of this is based off of Peter Son's, the director's life and such. So I get where this whole elements represent different races kind of perspective is going for and i know a lot of people are just kind of like okay how are you going to tackle this and they're working with a ton of new ideas like if anyone actually follows animators like actual animators on twitter who worked on this film they're using a lot of volumetric character models this time around i'm just saying like let's just wait and see what happens and hopefully with Pixar putting their films back in theaters and not just them getting dumped on Disney Plus, people can just go and see them. And hopefully, Disney did not train everyone to just wait for Disney Plus releases. But I mean, it looks cute. And I like the actors that they got for Ember. They got Leia Lewis, Wade, the water guy, is voiced by Mamoru Athi. And then they have like Ronnie Del Carmen. Sheila Omi, Wendy McLinden Covey, Catherine O'Hara, Joe Para is going to be in this. And, you know, a lot of people love Joe Para. Let's just see what happens. I'm still going to be on my soapbox, even though I don't like getting on a soapbox all that much, of let's go support original animated ideas. Because when we don't, it's why we get a Frozen 3 and a Zootopia 2 and an Inside Out 2. Now for... Trolls band together. Listen, I get it. These aren't like my favorite DreamWorks movies or anything. I'm not much for the jukebox style and such. But y'all, the first one was a huge hit. The second one was one of the most financially successful films during 2020 when the pandemic hit. I think it was like the highest grossing film on premium video on demand. I think it was added in The Crude's New Age, which came out the same year. And I understand how, I don't want to say like vapid these films are because they're not. They're, especially like with the first and second one, they're tackling different ideas like about depression and happiness in the first one and then gentrification and cultural appropriation in the second one. And here, like my only little issue with what the trailer has given us so far the film seems like it's going a little bit backwards in terms of scale because we went from survival of the trolls not to be eaten by the the bergen i think that's what they were called yeah and then the second one was just the death of music and life but here it's like oh branch has another hidden backstory of he used to be in a boy band which i get the meta joke of justin timberlake having to reunite with a boy band very funny and humorous on just like a surface level scale but i definitely want to see more or of course you know see the the movie when it comes out november 17th so do you think it's going to keep that november 17th spot because there's another animated film that is released on the 22nd and it's kind of a big one. Well, wish. Yep. Uh, maybe. Or they'll release it earlier and such. Or maybe keep it as a December film unless they got something. Oh, no, they can't do December because they have Migration coming out. So we'll have to see where they go with that. But, I mean, like, I found the trailer fine. 
I'm a little shocked they're still doing the whole branch and poppy will they won't they thing. I felt like they kind of did it with the second film. I'm definitely curious to see how they like what kind of story gets told with the integration of finding out that branch used to be part of a boy band and that like the members are played by John Dory is played by Eric Andre Spruce is voiced by David Diggs Clay is voiced by Kid Cudi and Floyd is voiced by Troy Sivan but you know like the Trolls films are kind of weird because they had to get over like I don't know if you still remember that teaser trailer for the first Trolls film oh it just how like the entire internet was just like this looks awful and then the actual trailer came out and then everyone was like oh that looks fine <laughs> and then that's what like people kind of came out of watching the movie you could argue that like the trolls films like alongside the peanuts film and that uh tales of despero film were like the slow but like early adopters of trying to diversify and experiment with cgi animation before spider-verse just kicked the door down mm-hmm because Trolls has this cool felt and arts and crafts look to its world. And then the second one just expanded upon that tenfold. And then with this new one where we see in the trailer where it goes through this psychedelic 2D sequence. It's very Rob Zombie inspired. And part of me kind of wishes they didn't spoil that in the first trailer. I would have loved to see that for the first time in theaters. But I get it. You got to sell the movie. Like, I'm fine with them showing that part off because I want to see what they do because I'm always going to be rooting for and being curious about what these big studios are doing because I I want to be there for the artists, no matter like how I end up with the movie, whether I think it's great, fine, man, whatever. But seeing a few people just label this like, oh, this is going to be the new worst DreamWorks movie. And it's just like, why do that right out the gates. Do you not know people who work on this film see those comments? And you don't have to like these movies. That's fine. I know a lot of people are just kind of in the middle with these films. But I'm getting so tired of how cynical and mean-spirited a lot of pop culture reaction stuff is. I want people to take a freaking chill pill. These films aren't harming you in any real, literal way. If you don't want to see them, you don't have to see them. Yeah, exactly. Like, social media has sort of made people forget how to say, this is not for me, because they expect everything to be for everyone, and if you don't like it, then nobody should like it. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it just seems like social media is such a double-edged sword, because we wouldn't be able to do half the things we do because of social media, but it's also like makes everyone a bit worse. (laughs) But I don't know. We'll have to see how these two movies turn out. And you know what? Hoping for the best with both of them. Let's just be supportive to these really hardworking and talented artists, writers, and so on who are having to still pick up the pieces after a really rough 2022 and from the looks of things will still be a rough 2023 but for now let's talk about one of those surefire things that hollywood and netflix would love to be a hit and who knows if it is i could maybe see it being a hit agent elvis a fantastical take 
on the supposed king of rock and roll starring elvis himself voiced by matthew mcconaughey as he goes on top secret missions during the nixon era of history and if you're wondering if this is going to be at any way realistic it's called agent elvis no (laughs) so what did you think about agent elvis and i think on the whole i enjoyed it but i think the biggest problem right away is the story takes too long to actually get going i'll get my positives out of the way first art direction all these designs by robert valley are excellent and i like the voice cast a lot matthew mcconaughey is for this iteration of elvis he's kind of perfect and i like how there's a, a healthy mix of voice actors and celebrities in the cast like you got tom kenny playing a scatter elvis's pet monkey johnny knoxville is bobby ray and it wouldn't be a renegade animation podcast without jason madzukas showing up yeah he plays howard hughes but yeah the rest of the cast includes caitlin olsen as cc Ryder, the commander voiced by the always amazing don Cheadle, birdie who's voiced by nisi nash and priscilla presley plays well herself (laughs) and then we also have like ed helms as robert goulet chris elliott as timothy leary christina hendrix as roxanne Ryder, fred armison as charles manson ron tutt as well ron tutt baz lerman even gets to play a version of himself in the show gary cole plays richard nixon and you get the idea and such though other cast members include ego Wodim, George Clinton, Simon Pegg, Craig Robinson, Kieran Culkin, and Dee Bradley Baker shows up as Stanley Kubrick at one point. And I love Robert Valley's work. His art style is incredible. If you still haven't, for some reason, seen the shorts he did for Love, Death, and Robots, please do. Or look at the footage from the I think it was the Beatles rock band game. Oh, that was him too? Yeah, that was him. Or see, he had an Oscar-nominated short a few years back. Pear, Cider, and Cigarettes. Like, his visual look makes this show stand out from the rest that that have to get stuck with the whole Family Guy adjacent look. This is a very cool-looking show. That's, like, probably the biggest thing I can say about the show and why I recommend checking it out and i think matthew mcconaughey is great as elvis he brings the cool suave vibe that you would want with a character like this even though of course this show cleans up a lot of elvis's rougher edges of his history and such of course and i like that his chemistry with Priscilla Presley is a lot more wholesome than you would think because a lot of the people who worked on this show worked on archer and i was ready for it to be a lot more cynical and mean with its characters and such and like having elvis go after every woman that he sees but i like that elvis is just you know again historically accurate or not i got one girl and that's priscilla and that's all (laughs) and well and his baby daughter at that time period speaking of priscilla lest we forget that she actually kind of helped create this series or at least is an executive producer I feel like she was going to have to be if they were ever going to get this 
show off the ground. True. I just like that they have a more wholesome chemistry with like each other and then Elvis is not just like a James Bond wannabe. It's everything else that starts to fall apart because when this show is all about the spy espionage action stuff, it's fun. The action is stellar and Elvis gets like probably the most realistic reaction lines to everything. But when it starts to lean into the more adult animated comedy tropes, it's where the show starts to lose me. And I love Jason Manzukas, but I found his portrayal of Howard Hughes to be annoying. A lot of these characters are not very memorable or interesting. I like Elvis. I like Priscilla. I like Birdie. And to a degree, I like Commander. But I find like Cece and Scatter very annoying. Cece is like her dialogue is always on. It's like it's always sassy. It's always snappy. And it gets old fast. And then Bobby Ray being just kind of like the goofy right hand to Elvis. He's fine. He just doesn't do anything different that you would see from these type of characters. Yeah, pretty much. And Scatter, listen, whether Elvis had a chimpanzee or not, I don't know if he did. We get it. He's a raunchy, drug-doing, violent chimpanzee. And as much as I love Tom Kenny, I feel like I've seen a lot of these before. A lot of these tropes, a lot of these story beats. And the only ones who are just like trying to keep everything together are Elvis and Birdie for the most part. Because Birdie throughout the 10 episodes that we have so far is trying to bob and weave through the commander hitting on her and such. And the little side plot of them like going out on a date when they're in Africa. It was fine, but it just, I found a commander to be also obnoxious during that whole story arc while Elvis has to take back. I think it was Timothy Leary who got kidnapped by the black Panthers and such. Oh yeah. And I find myself hitting that point with a lot of these shows that have come out on Netflix where the second half is way more interesting after the first half set everything else up. For a 24 or 22 episode season of television, that's already kind of frustrating because those shows can get pretty long in the tooth. But for 10 episodes, if like the main inciting incident doesn't start until like episode four, you're objectively wasting time you're not using your full real estate that you have it just feels like this thing wants to be a more pulpy grindhouse experience and it kind of is but it doesn't go all the way and maybe they're saving it for part two or season two or whatever netflix is going to label it as we're at that point now where You should get the plot going, at the very least, by episode two. And then, like, as we find out about the whole situation with Cece and her mom, which got really grating really fast. Like, I'm getting so tired of mean characters just being nonstop mean to one another. Nobody grows, or it feels like they grow, as individuals here. And maybe... That's the point. That's fine. But it doesn't make for a pleasant sit. And I'm not one of those people who are like, 
every character's got to be a good person. I'm just saying the writing isn't strong enough to tolerate the snark and cynicism that come with it. Because as the second half of the show goes, we find out that there's a bit of a backstory to Elvis's whole spy espionage side of his career. That was just the more interesting part to find out like what exactly was going on. And of course they'll do some things like take jabs at the Colonel for putting Elvis in a bunch of nonsense stuff, or they finally have Elvis go to space at the very end and what have you. But it was like almost a little too little too late by that point, because I was like getting through the show more so just to get it done than, oh, I can't wait to see what happens. I kind of see where you're coming from. Who knows how popular the show actually was to determine whether or not we're actually seeing more. Because, you know, that's the thing with Netflix. Like, it is honestly a gamble whether or not a show is going to last more than a season. It just sucks that Netflix has this reputation now. of Like, you can't be excited for a new show because they could very well cancel it the day after it launches because it didn't get 500 bazillion views or whatever and such. I will say this, though. As far as, like, Sony Pictures animation, I think this is their first project, like, intended for adults. And while it does kind of get off to a rocky start, I have more confidence in some of their future projects, like Gendy Tartakovsky's upcoming film and some of the other things they have. It's starting, like, we're starting to see the building blocks of those experiments with adult animation. And I get why this one was made first, because it's the easiest one to get into and the one that the audiences might gravitate towards the most, because it's so similar to something like Archer or... I don't know. I feel like adult animation is just in this weird little state of people want more than just like Rick and Morty and such. They want more than just family guy but when they do stuff like the more philosophical or more thriller or mystery kind of stuff they don't really show up especially that show that was on amc plus yeah pantheon we never officially talked about but i was a big fan of that series and basically scream at the void to get people to watch it i mean granted that was amc plus so would have been better if they just showed it on tv but that's beside the point. Like, Do you have any other thoughts about Agent Elvis? If you're going to watch it, do it for Robert Valley's art and the voice cast. But keep in mind that it's going to take a while for the show to actually have any forward momentum. Yeah, no, I would like to see more of this or to, just to see where they go. Because I like to see more than just like Elvis fights Charles Manson. And I just would like to see it be more than just Elvis doing spy stuff. I want to see where they would go with instead of just stopping at the elevator pitch. But I like these artists. I like Valley's visual flair. I like that it's more action oriented. I think that's a good direction to move on to with adult animation. It just still hasn't beaten like Vox Machina for me or Inside Job in terms of writing or action. But you know, give it a watch. Like for me, a big thing that I've also noticed is that a lot of people like to make their personalities and their entire persona on just hating on something without ever actually watching it. 
and then getting mad when called out on it. Like whatever we feel about this show or movie or what have you, if you're curious about watching it, watch it yourself and see what kind of thoughts you come up with. Like I know we're supposed to be like, oh, we like it, kind of find it middling or find it bad, but we're also just trying to start a conversation here. Exactly. Let's move on to Daniel Spellbound season two or you know, part two. Most of season two, Daniel's arc is, he starts off season two trying to find an untrackable in order to get back with the Trackers Guild. But then he runs into a new friend named Shaq, who is looking for her long-lost brother. And from there, things get weird, but in a good way. The new characters introduced in this part is Shakila Chinda, who's voiced by Sara Chaudhry, who wants to find her brother, Jace Chinda, voiced by Ali Bukadam. And Jace's goal is to find this special artifact to unleash magic onto the world even more, because, you know, this whole show is all about magic in the background. I, like... When we talked about this last time, we were kind of like medium to generally positive about the show. Here, outside of a few little criticisms I have that are very minor in the long run, I found myself really enjoying this second part. Like, I think it improves upon everything. Like, the story is a lot more interesting. The writing is a lot funnier. The action's a little more dynamic. The mystery is really cool. And then the themes are a lot more complex about what are these people willing to do to get to the end goal. It's such an upgrade. I agree with a lot of that. Everything about the direction that the story is going in, especially, I know we're kind of a broken record when we say this, but especially in the second half of this batch of episodes when certain mysteries are finally revealed regarding characters like Shaq's brother, Jace, that's when things get really interesting. But also, oh, I like Daniel's arc in this season because he really has to like figure out where his loyalties lie. How much of being a tracker is that important to him versus sticking with his friends and doing the right thing? And it also focuses on the importance of family and how Daniel hit a bit of a rough spot with Hoagie and Lucy in terms of their friendship and found family connections. And then you see the counterpoint of like, what happens if Daniel went so far to disconnect himself emotionally and on a human level with like distancing himself from Hoagie and Lucy with Jace and his sister and you see the dynamics slowly start to grow and either improve or degrade over time and it's really cool it's like it's really smart writing for a show that's still pretty much aimed at a young audience like it's still very corny and cheesy at times and i'm fine that doesn't bother me at all me neither you know it's like not every single piece of media is made for me and that's great that's why media is so fun to talk about i will usually say that like quality doesn't have a target demographic but looking outside of my own opinion there are still unavoidable tropes and cliches you see in animation geared towards 
children. That's fine, as long as it's handled well. And this show has a good grip on these characters and sort of the rhythm of the storytelling. Although, since we're speaking our opinion, I was getting quite frustrated with the sort of rift between Daniel and Hoagie. A lot of that comes down to just like a lack of communication. No, I get that. Like the breakup is very clunky at points. And when they get back together as friends and whatnot, I get it. It's not the smoothest transition, but sometimes that's kind of how it is with friendships and such. You take a moment and it's like, okay, that didn't quite work. And then, you awkwardly shove the puzzle pieces back together to be like, okay, we're good. A lot of this season or part, why it works is because of seeing just how bad Jace gets because he's really pushing to find this magic and to find this staff that was connected to the Spellbound. One of the things that shocked me while watching this was the, I think it was either the eighth or the ninth episode when we are we find out the fate of this antagonistic force, Elise, voiced by Julie Sype, who was throughout a majority of the whole season was the bad guy. And then our character just gets freaking crushed. Like, not just like, oh, whoops, I fooled y'all. No, just like dead. Actually, physically, literally dead. She does not come back after that ninth episode. Or not even like a teaser or something for part three or whatever. A lot of death happens in this show. And I'm a little more shocked by that than I probably should be because of how the first season was definitely more family friendly with this one having more like still family friendly, but with a bit of an edge. I found it kind of amusing when she met her demise only because if I'm being perfectly honest, at no point did I see her as like, an actual threat. She was at most just like, you know how like a lot of sitcoms will pit like two office workers like against each other and they're just like very competitive. She was supposed to be threatening and then it turns out that there is far more dangerous things in this world than just a dowser or whatever who is just kind of the worst. Now, as for the real antagonist, that was a more worthy adversary. Yeah, well, we find out the twist of the Spellbound lineage and how, oh yeah, we really do not want people to get this. What was the magic that they called? Called it that they don't want unleashed onto the world. Oh, dread magic? Yeah, spoilers from here on out. Jace essentially sacrificed Shakila to open the doors to where this special item that the Spellbounds kept away from the world was. And he has no remorse or just like, oh no, my sister gave up her life. He's just like, hey, whatever. It's for the, you know, as Hot Fuzz would say, the greater good. <laughs> and it definitely was not. You can tell that something bad was about to happen. And luckily things do change and get better by the time this second part ends. But still, it was really shocking. Like, just how much the stakes mattered more with this one. Because we kind of saw what was going to happen with the first part of this show. And here, it definitely felt like there was more to it than just 
repeating the same steps from the first part. Yeah. I just found it to be a little more entertaining and funnier in some regards. Like I found Hoagie to be a much funnier character this time around. Same. And I love that line where he's just like, I am definitely afraid of horses. And Lucy was just like, so what was your dad a horse? And Hoagie was like, I was a human turned into a pig, not a human centaur thing. They're weird. (laughs) And I think the only thing that bugs me about this show, I wish the visuals for the magic stuff was a lot more interesting. It's very inconsistent. And when they do like the blasting shooting magic and such, it just looks so underwhelming. And who knows what the production pipeline was for this. The action loses a little bit of the weight when it has to to bump up against the whole TV CGI production pipeline. Yeah, while the choreography is actually pretty decent the characters still kind of feel a bit floaty when they're actually like doing the fight scenes it feels lightweight compared to some of the other cgi shows that we've seen so far this year and and last year like i think my dad the bounty hunter has better weight to its action but all things considered though i still very much like daniel spellbound part two and the fact that it keeps building upon its world and we see the return of certain characters near the end and how it makes this world feel a lot more lived in it's really cool they are continuously improving on this show and i'm hoping the third part or if there is a third part just keeps that ball rolling yeah same anytime i finish a batch of episodes and immediately want more that's a good sign right on so yeah, I definitely give this one a watch. It, once again, it seems like Netflix does not care to promote this show at all, or like a lot of its shows. They just care that you have content to watch when they just really should start just investing into a marketing firm or like team and do other things like put all their movies on the big screen or give them physical releases and not just the stuff like all quiet on the Western front. Nothing against that movie. It's just, they're very random with what they choose to put out on Blu-ray. Definitely give it a watch. If you like part one, part two was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to see what this team does next. Same. And now we get to talk about the most explosive aspect of animation, or at least the animation scene from last week is the pilot for Lackadaisy, which is based off of the comics and is produced by Iron Circus Animation. You know, it took forever for the pilot to get made because, you know, lovely 2D animation is an intensely difficult thing to make in time because you really can't. (laughs) It's true. So the plot is, we're set in 1927 and the prohibition is the law of the land. Basically, you know, no places could serve alcohol if you ever heard about this in history class and what have you. And we follow three cats, Rocky, Freckle, and Ivy, as they try to go find a supposed stash of booze and get a little caught up with some other people wanting in on that boozy money. The comic by Tracy J. Butler and... The pilot was directed by Fable Siegel, and 160 people worked on this pilot. And, you know, 
it's kind of cool that we're seeing the indie animation scene slowly bubble up to the top ever since we saw the has been hotel and hell of a boss pilots get released and then we had that western pilot get released i think that was like two years ago maybe something like that hey there this is cameron just quickly chiming in the name of the pilot that we were trying to remember the title for was long gone gulch now back to the episode like it's only april and there were stuff on kickstarter like so many animation projects that just happened to show up on there like Studio 4C pitching their new movie with Future Kid Takara. Then there was Pen Pals Forever by Mary Lum. And then, of course, in the stop motion world, because, you know, we are still coming off of what was probably one of the best years for stop motion animation with Hidari, a stop motion samurai action film where all the characters are made out of wood block and wood carvings. Boy, if you watch that pilot, it looks so cool. It's so... And then, of course, there was the the World's Divide project, which is just getting funding to polish up a few things and hire voice actors for the film. And it's all like one guy did this. And granted, people are saying that indie animation is the best alternative when it's not because indie animation has its own hurdles to jump through that studio produced animated films do not have to go through. But it's nice to see that there's a lot going on with the indie world. And it just shows that like something like Lackadaisy, there's a promising future. Yeah, that's the thing. There's a very land of milk and honey romanticism when it comes to how a lot of people describe the possibilities of indie animation. And if you want that to be a reality, you have to support the stuff that you just think looks cool. And Lackadaisy is definitely something that I want to see more of. Everything about this concept and the animation is just so well done. Yeah, you can see a little bit of, like, the rough edges in some of the character designs, but that's because this has a relatively low budget, and it's, like, handcrafted by 160 animators. They even said that the construction outlines of the characters is on purpose. That was an intentional thing. It's like complaining about Anomalisa having, not removing the line that separate the face parts of the characters. It's a feature, not a bug. You know, we all sat through a bunch of Disney films that did this and we all didn't complain about it. Or people who do just don't get the picture. And I get it. Like there's that an appeal and then kind of like a distraction of how rough sketch something can look. But I think it just looks charming. And I'm not saying like everything's perfect with this pilot on a visual level. But there's so much charm and whimsy with how the characters look and move. And I am so glad that all of these different pilots that we have seen do not look like one another. Nobody's trying to be Casbin Hotel. Nobody's trying to be like the World's Divide or Hidari or something. You can watch every single indie pilot and get an entirely different experience. 
And this one's not even trying to be like edgy or super adult or whatever. It feels like a more like a slightly edgier Disney film from the 70s. Yeah, the comic is kind of described as like Walt Disney and Don Bluth films. And I can definitely see the Don Bluth influence in these designs. I can see it too a little. I mean, I can be extremely pedantic when it comes to describing Don Bluth's visual look because it's so distinct. Like you cannot mistake it when you see it and such. But... With the designs and such and how the characters move, you can see the inspirations and references to Disney and Don Bluth. And I just love that it takes place in a different time period. I love the 20s aesthetic and such and how apparently a lot of people are watching this and not understanding the politics and the themes and commentary involved with this pilot and i mean we could go on about how media literacy is dead and how there are just so many people being like well i like this because it's not pandering and such and it's like y'all just aren't understanding the pilot or the story or the characters or what's going on in the background it's so tiring how many people just do not want to learn or observe or partake in like like a show being deeper than what it is because it's not just a bunch of cat people in 1920s like there's a lot going on and especially if you know about that time period the 20s were a hot mess (laughs) to put it lightly like we could dive into it but i'm not here to teach you all about history and i like how there's a lot of action in this one the car chase has a lot of like that loop in the third inspiration from what i can tell and The villains, even though like they are threatening and intimidating to a degree, I do like how they have a camaraderie and they're not just straight up evil. And I know they're bad people. Like, There's this debate going on right now about how a lot of movies and shows like to redeem villains when sometimes it's just okay to let the villains suffer. Mm -hmm. But I like, like it fits here though to have like these characters who are obviously psychotic and dangerous like to our trio of characters. But they're still, like, entertaining to watch. I love how unhinged our, like, main trio is. Especially Freckle, who, once he goes into, like, his sort of, like, beast mode, you don't want to mess with him. And all the characters have good chemistry to them. And I love that we have, like, our... How to describe them? It's like a character Chris Parnell would absolutely play. Like, kind of like the smug opportunist. Like, I think the dynamic between the other are very cute. It definitely makes you feel lived in with this world. And I know I said that with Daniel Spellbound, but that's, it's so important for the audiences to feel like you're sitting in the back seat of like the car in the chase sequence. You can feel the grime and grunge of the city streets as businesses fall and die and people lose sight of hope and or employment. And how like watching our characters risk their lives for alcohol that wouldn't have been a thing if prohibition wasn't there. Yeah. Everything you said about the world building is like right on the money. The more you understand about the world, like the easier it is to root for these characters and you want to see them succeed by the end of this. Right. And I don't even care that like you can see the outlines or the obvious cgi car 
I mean, technically, if we want to be pedantic, you could tell there was something up with the cars in 101 Dalmatians back in the day because they literally built 3D models of the car and then just traced over it, like the footage and such. They literally rotoscoped the vehicles, which is why they look a little more 3D and such in a time period where CGI wasn't a thing. It's just like, man, I love gushing about stuff like this. Like the facial movements and the little cute moments between Ivy and uh, Freckle. The unhinged, kind of like, yeah, whatever happens, happens attitude for Rocky. Like when they get back to the bar and such. And it's just like, oh yeah, sorry, guy. Uh, You know, a lot of dynamite happened. So, (laughs) and then you see at, at the end of the credits, the businessman looks back at the quarry and such, and he's like, oh my God. Just, <laughs> oh no. And you feel for like the owner of the bar and such, just seeing how there used to be life and love and just escapism and what have you. But due to prohibition and other things, there's just no life left there. And I would love to see this get turned into a series. Same. But I would also hope that Tracy Butler, Fable Siegel, and the teams that worked on this have the most airtight contract if this does get picked up by like a streaming service or something. Like all things considered, not that we should be like rooting for the big streaming services or big companies to do this because, you know, after 2022 and such, I would think this would feel more at home on Amazon Prime or Apple Plus or something like that. That would be cool. Because as much as I love the stuff that gets put on Netflix and such, Netflix is on fire right now. I don't know what they're doing or what their plans are, but... Since Amazon and Apple have, you know, other things that keep them afloat, they could absolutely invest into something like Lackadaisy and such. And it would be cool to see some more adult animation on something like Apple Plus or something that's a little different on Amazon Prime with their adult animation, adult dramas and such. And yeah, I mean, like, I don't have much else to say. I think the voice cast is killer. The music I love. It's constantly funny. Uh It's so perfect for a pilot. It's so impressive. And I hope the 160 people that worked on this know that, I mean, they already kind of know this show got 3 million views and it's going to probably creep up on the 4 million, like by the time this episode's out or even more that like people love this. And I want to see more of this. I want to see stuff like this. And I want to see studios get back into relighting projects like this. I want to see animation thrive in a time period that feels like it's not, which is disheartening for multiple reasons. This new era of independent animation kind of reminds me of like a decentralized version of what we got in the 90s with like the What a Cartoon on Cartoon Network or the Nickelodeon equivalent. Both of those were by Fred Seibert. And I just really like the idea of all these independent artists getting the opportunity to show the world what they're capable of. Absolutely. And I just hope that like for those that were able to make these independent projects come to life and if studios show interest or if they want to keep this going definitely like 
cover your bases, treat your people right. Like with how uneven the animation in the industry is right now, just make sure to take care of yourselves. Make sure you don't run into like, oh, well, now this studio that canceled it mid-production own the rights to it. Like, first of all, like everyone's seen this already, but do watch Lackadaisy. It's on YouTube. It's on the Lackadaisy YouTube channel. Give it a watch. Go support it. And congrats to the whole team that made it. I just, oh, I just loved it. Same. This was such a delight to watch. And I will continue to spread that short wherever I can. Animation, even though like I'm worried and hoping everyone is okay, is in such a interesting spot right now. And with that, that is our episode for this recording. And next time we will be talking about the new Super Mario Brothers movie. Until next time, Cameron. Where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash view as long as that site's still holding up. And I'm on Hive and Instagram at view. I have a website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. And I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash view. That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter and various social media at captaink 42 you can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash coachk42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash renegadepopculture. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.